Well, praise God. Isn't it good to praise God? Isn't it good to have our friend Travis with us? Everyone say hi to Travis. For those of you who don't know, I've lived here for 17 years, and I used to be one of the pastors at New Life, and Travis is a fixture on the front row. He is now the ripe young age of 101 years old. Oh, we know. And uh, Psalm 91 says, those who make the most high their dwelling place with long life will I satisfy them and show them my salvation. And so, Travis, it, it's a real honor to have you in the house. And um, you are a living, provoking witness that you don't have to grow old and grumpy and stale, but just the name of Jesus on your lips. And you can see the sparkle in your eyes. And so just want to honor you for the long life that you've lived and loved Jesus. Can we give him one more round of applause? Just... We, yeah, all the glory he keeps pointing up. For those on the line, you can't see his hand. He just keeps pointing up. And he did not ask for me to call him out, but he was here, friends. You all could take some lessons from him. He was here at 9.06, <laughs> ready, ready. So thank you. Um, if you want to get connected to our church, that is the portal to glory. Just grab your smartphone and... and um, uh, we really don't have much, anything to announce. We're, we just, we do prayer during the week and we have community groups. That's it. Until you want to build something more, that's what we're doing. And it's been really great. Um, a lot of great testimonies from the, the group that Cal is leading. And if you're looking for a, connect, a connection and you are, um, you know, just hungry for community, go talk to Cal after the service. And I'm sure that they will make space. Um, if that group has been a blessing to you, just say Amen. And it was great as I was in Texas this week at a Forming Men event. I got to FaceTime my wife, and she was at our community group that um, the Silcots hosted. So it's just awesome. If you want to be connected and to grow with others, there are places for you to do that. It doesn't have to be a mystery of how to connect. There is a place. Just reach out to us. We want to connect you. Um, and also just want to pray for the offering this morning. Um, Lord, thank you for those who give their time, treasure, and talent. Thank you, Lord. It's the one place you tell us to test you is in the place of our finances, and in particular, bringing the full tithe into your house. So, Lord, I want to praise you that you've been tested and found faithful when we trust you with our, especially our money, because it can be a root of all kinds of evil, like Paul writes to Timothy. When we can just look at that giant in the eye, that myth of scarcity, and we can see it topple by living a generous life. Thank you, Lord, for the testimonies in this room of those who've seen that giant of fear, of uh, just scarcity. We've seen that giant fall, Lord. I've seen that giant fall in Haley and I's life. Thank you that you've been found faithful as we've trusted you with our giving and our time and our treasure and talent. And so, Lord, bless every gift we just thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being your sons and daughters in this house. There's nowhere else we'd rather be than in your family and in your house this morning. God, we bless those who are uh, watching online, those who are, are sick or traveling, Lord, whatever it may be. We just bless our larger spiritual family as well for those who tune in. And we just ask that the Holy Spirit would move profoundly through the glass, through the technology, through the airwaves into their hearts 
through their devices and their televisions. Lord, bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, we are going through the Lord's Prayer. And uh, this week, the phrase we're going to unpack, I'm very excited. Um, On the plane ride at 6 a.m., the Lord helped me get the message done early because he knew I had a busy week in Texas with a bunch of men from around the country, um, seeing them just respond to the gospel in profound ways. But on my flight, this message just, boom, was birthed into my heart. I'm really excited to just share some of the gleanings of what we mean when we say, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So let's read the prayer, rather pray the prayer together, and then we'll uh, work our way through this theme this week. One, two, three, go. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So Lord, as we as we have been talking about for weeks, this prayer is an invitation to a life of experiencing and exploring relationship with our Father, to build a house of prayer wherein we inhabit his very presence, his very peace, his very power, his very provision, and how we give ourselves as his people to his kingdom purposes being revealed and manifest on the earth. Oh, Lord, we want to build a house with our Abba Father over us, coaching us, encouraging, correcting, disciplining, because we know all of his ways are good, true, just, and beautiful. So, Father, would you rise over us as your sons and daughters this morning and show us your salvation. In Jesus' name, we all said. Amen. So what does it mean to hallow his name? One of the things that got Jesus in trouble throughout his whole ministry is he was going around calling God his father. Now, like we shared in the Old Testament, it's used about 15 times, two thirds of your Bible, God is referred to as father. 15 times out of hundreds, hundreds of of names ascribed to Yahweh. Father was few and far between. When you get to the Gospels and in the New Testament, the word Father, describing God as our Father, two to 400 times. Now, God didn't change. Our ability to interact and relate to him changed through the sending of a son, amen? So Jesus is on the earth, and he's calling God his Father. And Jesus, at one point, is like, why are you guys looking for a way to kill me? Is it because of the stuff I'm doing? They're like, no, well, we're not really all that thrilled about what you're doing also, but you're walking around calling God your Father, your Dad. And anyone who's doing that is saying he's equal with his father, like father, like son. So Jesus is getting into all sorts of trouble by going around and calling God his Abba, his father. Jesus says this in his defense in John 5, 17, my father is always at his work to this day. And I too, say it with me, am working. So when we think about hallowing his name, Yes, it is worship, but it's also working, living a life in continuity with the name that is over our life, which is the name of the Father. Not only is Jesus working, 
but not only is the father working, but Jesus is working too. And Jesus can say this, in fact, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his worka. <laughs> Typo. Works. Worka is not a word, friends. So we see Jesus, it's not only is he committed to doing the works and the will of his father, but in, in some way, by participating in the hallowing of his name, by the life and lifestyle he's doing, that's actually producing a kind of spiritual nourishment for him that he couldn't find anywhere else. In fact, in, in the context of John chapter 4, when the disciples come back, Jesus had just met the Samaritan woman, and, and Jesus because the disciples went off to town to get some food because they were hungry from their journey. And Jesus is like, y'all, I, I just ate. And they're like, did someone bring him food? He's like, no, no, no. I'm doing the works of my father. And in the obedience to his will, my spiritual belly is being filled. And how many know that there are many Christians who know a lot, but their spiritual bellies are famished because it's not enough just to know. He wants that knowledge to turn into concrete action and obedience. And many of us are like, we know a lot, but the Lord's like, but you've not yet tasted because you've not allowed that word to be materialized in your works and in your lifestyle and action. This is Jesus hallowing his father's name. So when we think of hallowed be it name, yes, it's worship, but it's also work and witness. I, my, my kids are walking images of daddy's name. Oh, that's Chad's kids or Haley's children. Our children reflect and resemble our image and our likeness. So when we're crying out for the name of the father to be hallowed, we're, we're crying out, Lord, when people see us, your sons and daughters, let them see the resemblance of our father. Are you tracking with me? So what does it mean for this, this name? When, when we think about name, interestingly, before Moses was sent to deliver Israel, he's like, it's probably good that I know your name. So that if they're asked, like, Moses, who's this joker who's coming to deliver us from the greatest superpower on the earth, the Egyptians, at least tell us who sent you. And so this is where we get the, the name Yahweh, that I am that I am, I will be what I will be. I'm totally sufficient and perfect. Fast forward, after he delivers them, that God uses Moses to deliver them, Moses is, is on the mountain. He gets the law, and he's like, God, I want to see your glory. And here's what God says. I will, I will show you my glory by declaring my name to you in your presence. Look at this passage. It's one of the most important passages in the Bible. Then the Lord came down in a cloud, and there he was there with him, and he proclaimed his name the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for their sin and the parents to the third and fourth generation. So I want you to see this connection of the hallowing of his name is the manifestation of his nature. So Moses is saying, I want to see your glory. He goes, the way I reveal my glory is by speaking my name. Do you see the connection? Just nod at me. Moses, I want to see your glory. He's like, okay, I'm going to speak my name in your presence. 
So when Jesus teaches us to pray, hallow be your name, he's not just talking about worship in a room that happens for an hour. He's saying, I want to reveal the glory of my nature in your real-time life, your real concrete attitudes and actions, the way you demonstrate your, the character of my kingdom and of my word. Show us your glory. Okay, I'm gonna show you my name. So the hallowing of his name is the cry for the reflection of who God is and for God himself to be seen through our lives. One commentator says this, the name of someone referred to the person's character and authority. All that God stands for should be treated as holy and honored because of his utter perfection and goodness. Therefore, when we say name, we mean the what? The nature of that person. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. To reveal and to make manifest the nature of our Father was what Jesus' entire life was about. Um, so, so how did he do this? How did he operate out of this life where, uh, I, I, I mean, I, there's just too many, there's 50 examples, even if all you had was John's gospel. All of Jesus' life and ministry is doing one thing. This is what the Father's like the way he healed, the way he forgave, the way he taught, the way he called those that were ostracized, the way he hung out with the broken, the way he stilled the raging storms, the way he did all that he did was one long living demonstration of the hallowing, the manifestation of the name of his father. And the way Jesus did this, the way he could bring glory and show the holiness of his dad's name was this, this is how he did it. Jesus gave the answer. I tell you, the son, read it with me, can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So here's the trick. If we want to be sons and daughters that hallow the name of our Father, that reveal and reflect his image, you can't do it while you're also running around seeking to make your name great. Can I get an amen? You can't do it while you're running around and I'm running around trying to seek my own glory. I can't do it running around living independent of his, my neediness for his ongoing presence and grace in my life. Jesus is saying, again, 10 examples. I can't do anything without him showing it. I can't speak anything without him saying it into my inner man first. I can't go anywhere he's not leading me. So the only way for the hallowing of his name to take place is to live in needy dependence upon our father as our real-time provider. Amen. Whereas the greatest sin, as old as the garden is, to live autonomous, independent lives of the empowering presence of the father. So This is an old propensity within us to want to do things our own way for our own name and for our own glory. So Jesus, again, throughout the Lord's Prayer, is inviting us back in to the way God designed life to function with God as our Father, his presence reigning and ruling over us, accessible, the very air we breathe. The Father's close enough that we could breathe. He's here. And then he wants us to hallow his name instead of trying to make a name for ourselves. No one's ever made that mistake, trying to live by yourself and glorify yourself. No one. So it doesn't apply to anyone. At the heart of hallowing the Father's name is the commitment 
to live in closest communion with him. He never sought, Jesus never sought to operate independently of the love and life-giving leadership of his dad. I love John 1.18. It's one of my favorite verses. It says that no one has ever seen God, but God's only son, comma, who lives in closest relationship. It literally means in the bosom of his dad, resting in his, his own father's love. The one who's closest to the father has perfectly made him known. You want to hallow his name, you got to live close to his chest. Does that make sense? Gee, this is the picture of Jesus' whole life, John 1.18. He's just in his father's love. What is he saying? How is he leading? How is he judging? How, where are we going? Father. Jesus said it already in the, in the temptation narrative. Man doesn't live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This was Jesus' testimony. And beloved, if it was so for Jesus, how much more are we needy and dependent for the bread that comes from the Father's mouth? In order to hallow the Father's name, Jesus had to regularly feast on the Father's word. Write it down. How do I hallow his name in real time? Well, I need resources on the inside. That comes from feasting on his word. You are what you eat. Come on, somebody. No offense. Some of you are like, well, that's not fair. That's kind of rude. It's true. And many of us are atrophied because we're not feasting on his word regularly. We need his word to undergird our call to worship him, to work and to witness on his behalf. So right at the start of Jesus's ministry, he's committed to feasting on his word because he wants to hallow his father's name. This is my, I mean, I have so many, okay, I won't say it anymore. You all know I love the Bible, so I just, let's just say it like that. We were feeding the homeless about 15 years ago. I first moved here at the Oceano Duck Ponds, and this, <laughs> this guy named Biggie, that was his nickname. We're making hot dogs and hamburgers and all this stuff, and I'm like, wait, we forgot to pray for the meal. And he goes, chat. I told the Lord I'm thankful until I tell him otherwise. We're good. I was like, that's a good one. So he's like, in other words, I don't need to pray for my food anymore. He was joking, but it was actually a great joke. So there I'm telling you. I'm telling you that so I don't have to tell you before every passage. This is my favorite passage. That's why I told you that point. So the last temptation, bow down to me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, to me, this is as good as a life mission for any person on the planet. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Say it with me. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. How many think that's good enough for our life ambition and dream? I worship him. First of all, I feast on his word. And feasting on his word enables me to believe he's always with me. I don't need to jump off temples. That was the middle temptation because he's with me. I don't need to do the spectacular or the huge. He just is moved by the simple obedience of the next thing he says. And then lastly, my whole life is categorically under these two things, worship and service. That's it. I put it in a summary form here. Living on every word he speaks, walking with the Father in every moment, and worshiping and serving him alone. That's how you hallow his name. That's it. How do I bring glory to the Father? Live on every word. Walk with him. Realize he's the Father who's not distant, dull, or deaf, or 
worse dead, like Nietzsche said. No, he's a father who's intimately aware and available for every moment. He wants to walk with you, and he wants you to realize that when you worship and serve him, that pathway of worship and service is the more abundant life Jesus promised in John 10.10, the full kind of life. If you're like, what is worship? This is my favorite definition by one of my spiritual heroes, Dick Eastman. Worship is any act, thought, or expression of willful adoration that exalts and enthrones God, thereby defeating and dethroning Satan. How many think we need to be worshipers, not just in a room for an hour, but worshipers, hallowing his name in real time, in real places, everywhere the Father would lead us? And why does Jesus know? I love this. Why does he know what the Father is up to? What was his secret? Because he loves me. John 5.20. The the reason I know what he's doing is because my dad loves me. So, so many of us are like this. I want to know how to please you. And the Lord's like, sorry, tripping over the uh, thing. (laughs) The love of God hitting me. The Lord's like, okay, rest in my love. Did you know you hear better when you're resting than when you're striving? I can hear the whisper better. When I, that doesn't mean there aren't seasons of intense seeking. I get it. Ask, seek, knock. They progressively get more intense. God, I'm asking. God, I'm seeking. God, I'm knocking. I get it. So these are not opposed to each other. But Jesus knew the secret to, to, the, to the greatest revelations of his father's heart was realizing how much his father loved him. And through that lens of acceptance, that lens of abiding and belonging, the father was able to share with the son all of the things he had for him to do. Right before his death. This is, so this is the prayer right before the cross. I mean, you got like one more sentence, Jesus, before they come to arrest you. And here's what Jesus is praying. I have made you known in the Greek. It literally means I've made your name known. And NIV leaves it out. I don't know why. So I've made your name known to them. So, so we could say, what was all of Jesus' ministry about? Hallowing his dad's name, showing us what the father's like. And I will continue to make you known. Praise God for that part. Even today, amen? In order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. Why did Jesus know about what? his dad was up to because his father loved him. And apparently right before the cross, Jesus is saying, by the way, the same way I've experienced his love, I'm going to allow you to experience that love so that you can be in on what the father's up to. This same love exchange between father and son is the love that we're called to participate in as well so that we too can hallow his name. By way of reminder, by feasting on his word, walking with him daily, worshiping and serving him alone, doing the works of our Father, and in this, his name will be hallowed. If that makes sense, can you say amen? And so when we say, Father, let your name be hallowed, let your, let, holy is your name, there's another way to think of it if that's not connecting with you. Lord, let your name be honored and held in high regard right here. And read these with me. In my family, in my household, in my workplace, in my school, in my everywhere. Everywhere I go, my heart as your son is I want my dad's name to be seen for what it is. It's got to be honored and hallowed. And principally, this happens 
mostly first by our attitudes, our actions, and our character and conduct, unfortunately. Come on, somebody. That's the first living, that's the first living demonstrable thing they're going to see is the kind of people we are. And then secondly, by the words we speak. Your words have potency when they come from a life of integrity. Potency is the result of living, and, 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 and yes, we need grace, and we're the first to confess, oh, have mercy, but we're committed to, to increasingly reflecting and resembling the likeness of our Father because he's really that good. Isn't he good? I want to show the world what Dad's like. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he prayed this, I have revealed your name to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. I see it like Jesus. He's, Father, I did it. That prayer I gave them way back at the beginning of the ministry, I actually, I did it. I showed them what your holy name was all about. We did it. And as Jesus says, so we're called to the same family vocation, the hallowing and honoring of the Father's name. So I want to just give you a perfect little passage to summarize and illustrate. This is, I mean, there's many examples in the Old Testament, but this one particularly is so spicy. It's a prophetic passage from Ezekiel, and and you're going to see some language. You're like, that's in the Bible? Yeah, prophets used language that were meant to cut through whatever false mask or veneer you try to put up over your inner disobedience and your outward show. Prophets had a way to go, zinger. This is really what you're like. I see your heart. So here, this is amazing. Watch this passage in Ezekiel 36. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanliness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they shed blood in the land and they defiled the land with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations. They were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. Because wherever they went among the nations, look at this, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, here's why it's so gnarly. The nations were saying, these are the Lord's people, and yet they had to leave their land. You see this, God's name and nature were on it was like a jury. It was his name, his power, his word, his law were on display, even when he judged his people by sending them into exile. And instead of the, 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 the people of Israel resembling the likeness of their, their father, their name, they were defaming his name. And so the nations are like, if these are the Lord's people, like, they're not any different than us. Well, here we go. So God says, I had concern for my holy name which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. And here we see God is deeply concerned with the authentic reflection of his name, nature, and character, and conduct being demonstrated out into the world through the lives of his people. So the first thing we see is he sees his people being judged because they're profaning his name. He's like, I got to act. And the first reason I need to act is not for their sake, but for mine. I can't have the nations, the pagan nations who don't have the law, don't have the revelation of my deliverance from Egypt. I can't let them walking around thinking this is what the God of Israel's like. Do you see his zeal for his own nature and character? He's like, no way. They have to see who I really am. 
In Israel's case, they had a reputation because they are the Lord's people. Everyone knew these are the bunch of knuckleheads that God delivered from Egypt. No shame, but literally they, were, they, were, they, were, they lost their minds. And instead of maintaining even those first four commandments, no other gods, no image, no idols, no, they broke every one of them. And in so doing, there is now no recognizable difference between them, who the nation said are the Lord's people, and those who didn't claim God, Yahweh as their God. You see the quagmire. Just say amen, and I won't belabor the point. Okay, so when they adopted the practices and worshiped the idols and lived lives with no discernible difference than the surrounding nations, that they were in covenant with Yahweh, it did the very opposite of hallowing the name of their father who rescued them from Egypt. Look what God said over his people when he sent Moses to deliver. Say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel's my firstborn son. Let my people, let my son go so that my son will worship me, but you refuse to let him go, so I'll, it'll cost you the life of your firstborn son. Israel was God's firstborn son. They were meant to worship, cherish his word, and then work and witness out into the nations, but they did the exact opposite. When, they, when the worship broke down, everything broke down. Okay, but look at this. It was spicy, but here's the hope. Here's why it is so profound. Go back to the Ezekiel prophecy. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm about to do the things I'm going to do, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you've gone. I'm going to act not because of your sake first, but because of my name deserves to be seen holy. The nations cannot live out of a false vision of what I'm really like. So he first promises to act for himself, but look at this. This is the gospel. But second, because God is a deliverer and redeemer, look at how he's going to show, show his holiness. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you profane among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord. Read it with me. When I am proved holy through before their eyes. Come on, somebody say amen for the gospel. So in other words, I'm going to act not because you're good, but because I am. I'm going to act not because you're holy, but because I am. But guess how I'm going to show my holiness? By so radically transforming you, they're going to see my holiness through your redeemed, transformed life. Come on. That's the gospel. So when Je listen, when he says, hallowed be your name, Jesus knows all of this stuff. Because Israel profaned his name throughout their history. So Jesus comes as God's true son to perfectly reveal father's name and nature so that the nations, when they look at Jesus, they're like, we know exactly what the father's like. Come on. Okay, implication. There's coming a day. Ezekiel saw it. He prophesied hundreds, hundreds of years before Jesus would come. There's coming a day when I will so thoroughly transform my people that, there, that I will show the holiness of my name through them. What is your God like? Look at his people. Oh, that's what he's teaching us to pray. Hallowed be your name. How, God, how can you possibly show your name as holy through the same group of people that defamed your name and showed it as unholy? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's how the passage ends. I will take you out of the nations. 
I will gather you from the countries. I'll bring you back to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all of your idols. First, I'm going to bring you home. Second, I'm going to cleanse you. Thirdly, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit and remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So third, I'm going to give you a new heart that has my word written on it. And then fourthly, I'm going to put a spirit inside of you that's going to move you to follow my decrees and careful to keep my laws. I'm going to put my very life inside of you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, or I said it again, but this has been my favorite since I was 16, so I really mean this one. Many of us struggle to obey, and my honest question is, has he put his spirit in you? The spirit moves you to obey. If you're trying to obey in the flesh, good luck. Now, your will and your, your, your agency is required because he, he's a father. He doesn't, he doesn't make you obey, but the secret sauce of obedience is yielding to the fullness of the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's the one who's like, I know in your flesh you used to not like A, B, C, or D, but I am so transforming you as you re- remain in my love, you live on my word, you walk with me, you worship and serve me. On that journey of transformation, you're going to find there's someone else inside of you moving you to want the things I want. Oh, I believe this with all my, all that I have, all my energy, that he wants to put his spirit in you, and that's how you're going to be able to follow him and obey him. Guess who's better at obeying God than you? The Holy Spirit. Isn't that funny? Have you ever even thought of that? Who's really good at obeying? God. God is good at obeying God. God the Holy Spirit is really good at obeying God the Father and God the Son's word. So the first thing I'm going when I feel the Spirit say obey is not, okay, muster up energy and willpower. It's Holy Spirit, here I am. I'm an empty vessel. You've got to fill me for this. Holy Spirit, move me. Holy Spirit, rewire my spiritual appetite that I love the things you love and I hate the things you hate. You see what I'm saying? All of this is in the context of our Father, talk to him. Father, I don't really feel like doing what you're calling me. Cool, I appreciate your feelings. Don't, you know, your, your feelings don't have that much weight as it pertains to moving my word and, and an ounce or the needle of my will, but I appreciate you sharing how you're feeling, but let me empower you to do what I'm calling you to do. The Holy Spirit's really good at obeying. And the Holy Spirit is accessible to every one of God's sons and daughters. If you're so thankful, say amen. What a promise. This kind of total transformation is now available to us because God's perfect son, Jesus, the famous one-liner, lived the life we could never live, died the death that we deserved to give us a life we could never earn so that we could actually hallow Father, the Father's name. I'm going to skip that because I just said it. To the Jews who were gathered around him, saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, just tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. How did he tell them? The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. Don't believe, listen, what if the church could say this? Did you know the church is kind of, has a little bit of a bad reputation out there. Can we just be honest? I'm not going to labor here long because there's enough bad news. Out. But how many know, it, 
we've not taken seriously this part of the Lord's prayer. Lord, let your name be held in high regard. First in my life, let your care. So don't believe me unless I do the works of my father. What if every believer was like, instead of just wandering around saying, oh yeah, I believe I'm a Christian. We're like, no, look at the works of my life. They're going to give evidence to my testimony and confession. That's what Jesus could say. Isn't that gnarly? You don't, you don't, okay, you don't believe me, but at least look at, the, look at the material of my life, the works I'm doing. Those things and the way I'm living are so committed to the Father's name being hallowed and his name being glorified. At least look at my life and lifestyle and you get a picture of the one I'm doing it for and doing it through. So many of us, this is one of the primary ways we bring God glory in our workplaces. I'm doing it in a way that's in continuity with the Father who's spoken over my life through his Son. You're mine. I work a certain way. I I, I speak a certain way. I, I love a certain way. I give a certain way. All of it is a way to bring glory to the Father. He's finished his work. This is why Jesus came, to reveal God's image to humanity and God's intention for humanity. Just a couple more thoughts, and then we'll, be, we'll close. He, so the disciples don't get it. Aren't you glad? They don't really get it. The whole time, they don't get it. How many feel like you're in good company? I don't get it. I don't get it all the time. So here at the end of Jesus' life, three and a half years, he'd been discipling these 12, and there's been many more disciples around, but he named 12 apostles. But many, many followed him. And right before his death, this is in the upper room, Philip's like, all right, Lord, show us the Father. Because Jesus just said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then Philip's like, all right. Thank you for that great promise, Jesus, John 14, 6 and 7. Now, verse 8, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, "Uh, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone, say it with me, who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Isn't that profound? Philip, I've been hanging, dude, we've been sharing meals. We've been sweating in the hot, you know, the hot Mediterranean breeze coming off the ocean. Like, we've been hanging. If you've seen me, you've been seeing my dad. You've been seeing the father the whole time. Didn't you believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't even speak my own words and my own authority. It's the father who's living in me, who's doing his work. Oh, Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Read it with me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. What I want to do is ruin your mind when you think hallowed be his name. It's not just giving lip service. It's doing, loving the word, walking with and doing the works of our Father. That's what it means to truly hallow. It's both worship and work and witness. Believe on the evidence My words and my works have been the singular goal of manifesting my Father's name and nature to the world. Now, here's what's amazing. In closing, just like the promise of Ezekiel 36, how is God going to show the holiness of his name through his, starts with a P, ends with an eeple. People, I gave it away there. Y'all were struggling. Look in the same way. Jesus is about ready to go. In fact, he prays in John 17, I'm leaving the world. They're not. Keep them safe. How? By, the, by your name, significantly. But don't take them from the world. Take the world out of them so I can send them back into the world so they can manifest my name. Look at this, though. 
I'm leaving, but very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. They'll do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Prophetic word to Ezekiel, through the gospel, that's the implication, the, the people that defame my name, it's, my name's going to be seen as holy. Now, the disciples, I'm leaving. I started, the, I finished the actual work the Father sent me to do, but you're going to continue his works, yes, even you, in a greater measure. In the same way, Ezekiel 36, no way, the people who defame your name, this is going to be shown as holy. The disciples are like, no way. You're leaving, we're going to continue what you did? Yes. You're going to go to, the, go to the Father. You're going to do this too. Me and you, hallowing the Father's name too. The greater things, are you kidding me? We are invited to this great hallowing of the Father's name. We get to share in the Father's business too. Jesus showed us the way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I will do whatever you ask. Here's how it's going to be hallowed because he's going to go and we're going to have powerful prayer. We're going, to get, we're going to have all that we need because he's going to make this relationship available. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. The greater things, as my, one of my mentors, Corey Jones, Pastor Corey Jones says, is directly tied to the greater asking. Jesus lived the life we couldn't live. He ascended after his death. He sat down. So now we pray in the, to the Father in the name of the Son. And when the Son hears our request, the Father grants what we need before we, he knows what we need. There's power in our prayer, our praise, our participation. We're called to this vocation of hallowing, of praising the Father's name. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Actually, let's read this together and we're done. Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength and seek his face always. Oh, I love it. I can't, there's too many passages, but the whole point of, when you read the Old Testament, there's innumerable Psalms. Israel's called to proclaim the name to the nations. Show them what he's like. Proclaim, worship, worship, worship. And we know to worship outwardly, we first have to have our inner worlds ravished and wrapped around the reality of his glory and goodness. We're called to do the same to proclaim, to hallow his name. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you weren't a people, now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Our worship is meant to infuse our work with power and potency, which spills over into our witness. Worship is what provides the potency and power for our work and witness to be effective in hallowing the name of our Father in real time. Reflection time. If the people closest to you had to visualize the Father's character and love just from viewing your life, what picture would they paint? And don't even for an, a split second go into condemnation, go into consecration. You know the difference? Condemnation? Well, that would be a crappy version. They wouldn't like God at all. 
That's condemnation. Consecration is, man, Lord, start right here, right now. I want to resemble the Father. Consecration is the offering up of our life. But what picture would they paint? My wife said something to me last night because I'm still a little bit tired. I was in New York, and then I'm in like a weird time zone. But she's like, you're a grumpy old man, as I was tired. Actually, And she, she did it kind of playfully, sort of seriously. But I was like, oh, she's, I was. I was tired. And I, I wasn't painting a, a picture of the joyful father that we serve. I don't feel condemned, but I'm like, Lord, I'm going to do better today by your grace. What picture would they paint? Jesus can say, you don't want to believe my words? At least view the evidence of my work. You're going to get an accurate picture of my father. Look at this. Do you see your work as a window into the Father's love to those around you? Picture your work, your nine to five, as opening a window. This is what the Father's like. This is the God and Father of our, this is the Father that's claimed my heart through, the, through his Son. And then last, uh, second to lastly, do you believe that through prayer in Jesus' name, you can do the greater works Jesus promised this week? Do you view prayer as a last resort or as the first trigger response of your life? I can't, but he can, he did. He's available and he has resources. Amen. And lastly, how do you view worship? Do you really believe or do you struggle to believe that praising him, declaring his glory actually makes a difference in your life and the lives of those that you love, lead, and do life with? Who's got something to chew on this week? Hallowed be your name. Father, I thank you that you've called us through your son and by your spirit to do this. What an unbelievable opportunity through the very people that so often, Lord, we fail to reflect an accurate picture. You said that through your grace and by the sending of your Holy Spirit, because of what Jesus has done, the same people that defamed your name would become the people in and through whom the Father's name would be hallowed. And how many just would just put your hand on your heart, say, Lord, I want to show the world, starting with my own household, my own neighborhood, my workplace, my friendships, I want to show a beautiful picture of what the Father is like, just like Jesus showed us perfectly. And so just say, Holy Spirit, anoint me and empower me to hallow the name of our Father this week. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said, amen. Amen. Stand to your feet. Let me send you out with a blessing. Put your hands out like you're receiving a blessing. And I'll just, out of Ephesians 1, 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Beloved, I bless you today as your brother, as your friend, and your, and, and your shepherd that through Christ you have access to everything you need and more to hallow the name of our Father this week. And we all said amen, amen. Love you guys so much. Have a great week. If you need prayer, come on up.